Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Happy spring break week. A lot of you maybe have the week off, and if you don't, certainly your kids do, and you're trying to figure out what you can do to entertain them with a forecast that is maybe a little less than ideal throughout the course of the week. Although, at least in North Mississippi, so far, the rain has held off. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. It is spring break week, so we've got uh, Rippy off for a couple of days early in the week. Hey, Dad's going to take off a couple of days in the middle of the week. Michael Borky and I will be with you all week long. We're glad to have you along. We remind you the C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. If you would like to be a part of the conversation, that's the best way for you to do it, C Spire, customer inspired. Borky, how was your weekend? Weekend was good. Um, didn't do a whole lot except for yard work, which at least I got the chance to do it. And baseball and basketball. It's a pretty low key weekend, but I feel like I got a lot accomplished. My there wife disagrees a... because my accomplishments were mostly watching sports, but I feel like I got something done. Yeah, well, as long as one of the two of you is convinced <laughs> you got something done, then uh, maybe it was a good thing. Hey, Dad, what's up? What's going on, guys? Spring Happy break Monday. is here. Yeah, yeah been a uh, pretty low-key Monday up here in Starkville. So. Uh, what, what's the uh, what's the plan for your girls this week? Oh, I don't know. We got to we got to find something to do. I'm going to I haven't really I want to talk to them and see what they want to do. So, yeah, they got they got they got the free time. This is their break. Let's 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 let them pick something for a change. So, so not exactly planning ahead. <laughs> no, but I mean, they, what are they going to pick? You know that, that that I can't deliver on, you know. I I can't imagine. Oh, let's go to Disney. That's not going to happen. So, you know. You think like uh, a trip to the zoo could be in order that, later that, in the week? That could be a possibility. Yeah, I think I heard the zoo mentioned around our house at uh, at some point. I'm not the biggest zoo guy, but if that's uh, if that's what see, would I make like them happy zoo, and smile. So. Say what? I'm a, I'm a zoo fan. I like going to zoos. Do you? Yeah, I got you. Well, we'll we'll uh, we'll see. Busy weekend. Lot going on this past weekend, including. Mississippi State and Ole Miss playing the final regular season game of the uh, of the year, as far as SEC games are concerned. There was a quadruple header on the SEC network. Some early start for uh, some of the other games that were going on. It was uh, Mississippi State and Ole Miss tipping off at five thirty at Humphrey Coliseum on Saturday night, and it was a game for what about a half? It's tied. Yeah, that sounds about. Yeah. Wasn't it tied at twenty one? Oh god, that made me think. That sound right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you were there. <laughs> How observant you are! I know, I know. I'm, I, what can I say? 
I, mean, I think it was tied at 21 apiece. It was yeah. tied at 21 apiece, and then 24-21 was the closest it got for the rest of the afternoon. Yeah, State, State went on a, I think it was 16-2 to run from 21-21. Okay. So after being tied at 21, it was 18 to four going into the rest uh, or into the halftime locker room. 39-25 was the uh, the margin at the half. Mississippi State led that by 14 at that point. They outscored Ole Miss by 11 in the second half until you had a 25 point margin of victory. It's almost like we've seen that when these two teams get together this year once before. Yeah, it's kind of kind of funny that if you add the two scores up, that it's even. Dead State even. wins. State wins by twenty five in Starkville. Ole Miss wins by twenty five in Oxford. So let's see. Mississippi State in the game. Monster game for Reggie Perry. He was the best player on the court, and it wasn't even close. Twenty two points, fourteen rebounds, eight of nine from the free throw line. Really dominant. Two other players from Mississippi State in double figures. Nick Weatherspoon had eleven points and four steals and six assists, and he did not turn the ball over. And it's almost like we've talked about this before. If Nick Weatherspoon controls the game from a turnover standpoint and doesn't give it away, then Mississippi State has a great chance to win. And that's exactly what he did. The 11 points with no turnovers to go along with six assists, also 11 points for Robert Woodard II in the ballgame. Those were the only three players in double figures for Mississippi State. To me, the biggest difference in this game well, really, there were two big differences in the game. Number one, Mississippi State handled Ole Miss's defensive pressure in the one-three-one with relative ease. Is that is that fair to to characterize it that way? They looked a hundred times more comfortable this time around than they did in Oxford. I mean, we've we've, we've talked almost ad nauseum about how. When Ole Miss went to the one-three-one in the first meeting of the matchup, it was like Mississippi State not only had never seen it before, but had no idea what to do with it. When when it kind of flashed in front of their eyes and threw the ball into the front row of the stand several times and just really looked uncomfortable. So that was one difference. The other difference was instead of forty points for Brian Tyree, he had eleven in the ball game, and Mississippi State really had a good plan. They did a ton of double teaming almost extended those double-team traps out to half court and forced some turnovers. Uh, there was one early in the game where, yeah, just kind of a – it wasn't a collision, but just like suffocating defense at half court turns into a turnover and a bucket the other way. And the the difference in terms of game plan and execution for Mississippi State from meeting number one to meeting number two was like night and day. It really was, the, uh, the decision to – basically every time Tyree came around a screen – the uh, the defender who would normally go with the screener went with Tyree, and then in most cases that was Abdul Adu. So Tyree would get the ball off a screen, and now he's got Weatherspoon and Adu completely in his face. A couple times, like you mentioned, they pushed him into near backcourt violations. State's game plan was pretty simple, it looked like. It, it, they said they were going to let anybody but Tyree beat them, and nobody for Ole Miss was able to step up in, in, in that absence. The only player that really stepped up in terms of scoring was Devontae Shuler, who has had an up-and-down regular season. He had 16 points with 6 of 11 shooting. Ole Miss struggled from behind the arc. Struggle might be putting it mildly. Two for 17. They shot just 12%. You know, you, you think about the uh, the career day that uh, Blake Henson had a year ago against Mississippi State where he went for 26 points, still a career high. He was 0 of 9 shooting, 0 of 6 from behind the arc turned it over four times, and did not score in the ballgame. Yeah, 
And I, I made mention of that because I remember that game he had in Starkville a season ago and how, how key he was to Ole Miss's victory. He he just had no shooting form uh, on, on Saturday. Like you said, outside of Shuler, not a lot. And then especially defensively where Reggie Perry just bullied Kadeem C., Henson, Buffin, whoever Ole Miss tried to put down. There's a hunter. Whoever the Kerber Davis threw down there, there was there was one time he uh, Perry got a bucket. Uh, Kermit immediately called timeout. And I took a look at him, and all he did, he literally just shrugged his shoulders, as in, "Well, I don't know. I'm I'm out of answers at this point." Reggie Perry was a a huge problem for Ole Miss uh, on Saturday, and you know, outcome of the game notwithstanding. I mean, there's the whole in-state bragging rights and not losing twice to the opponent in the same season. All all those things are are real. But the bigger storylines that come as a result of this game are, I guess, mm, at least twofold, maybe threefold. Number one, Mississippi State finishes as the four seed, therefore they get the double bye. They will not play in the SEC tournament until Friday, and the road to winning an SEC title in the tournament is far easier when you get the double bye because you got to win three games in three days, not four in four days or five in five days. So that would be kind of the immediate, okay, this is good as a result for Mississippi State. The other thing is it keeps Mississippi State's NCAA tournament hopes alive. You know, Are they on life support? They're certainly a bubble team. Right now, uh, Joe Lunardi has Mississippi State as the first team in the group of next four out, which means they're basically five spots, according to Joe Lunardi, from being in the field of 68. They will not play again until Friday. They've got the uh, the afternoon game on Friday, so 2 o'clock Central Time, roughly. And they will play the winner of Florida against either Georgia or Ole Miss. And so you could potentially see another Ole Miss-Mississippi State matchup on Friday at the SEC tournament, or you could see Georgia against Mississippi State, or you could see Florida against Mississippi State. And I don't know, hey, Dad, I guess in terms of quality, you would like to get Florida in that uh, in that first game, uh, a team that Mississippi State has already beaten once this year, but uh, really would give them, I guess, a quadrant one win going yeah. into Selection Sunday. And Ben Hallen said that today on the uh, the teleconference. He said that you know they want to play Florida. They need that quadrant one win. So uh, it's really interesting. I think if we could go back to November, and I was going to tell you that Mississippi State got a double bye in the SEC tournament, you're probably saying, okay, well, they're a four-seed, five-seed in the NCAA tournament, maybe even a three-seed. Instead, they're fighting for their tournament lives, and one of the teams behind them is comfortably in. So State needs that win over Florida. They'd have two head-to-head wins over the Gators at that point. I think that might be enough at this point, just where everybody has them, but it's going to be an interesting few days in Nashville for them. Pretty uh, pretty fascinating weekend, week maybe even, in baseball. As we uh, look back, Mississippi State swept Quinnipiac, but it was not easy and it was not without drama. Ole Miss had a record-setting weekend at home in a three-game sweep of Princeton. You had uh, Southern Miss playing well at home this weekend at Pete Taylor Park. We'll get into all of that with you this afternoon. Scott Ferry will join us. Mike Bianco will join us. Hey, Dad's conversation with Chris Lamonis. All of that coming up. Sports Talk Mississippi on this Monday. Monday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us. Glad to have you along. Don't forget, if you miss any of the show, any of our conversations on the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team. 
You can always go back and get them via the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, whether it is from Apple or Google Play or Spotify or Stitcher or whatever else is out there. Uh, you can get the Sports Talk Mississippi podcast, the Thunder and Lightning podcast, the Rebel Report, whatever it is that you're looking for. Also, the Eagle Hour podcast is available to you so you don't have to miss anything from any of the shows here at Super Talk Mississippi. So, SEC basketball tournament bracket looks like this. You've got uh, Ole Miss and Georgia in game number one. That's the 12-13 game on Wednesday. And then uh, Vanderbilt against Missouri in the 11-14 game. So those are the two games that are happening on Wednesday night. All four of those teams, if they are going to advance all the way to the crown, would have to win five games in five days. That is certainly a difficult ask for teams that have put themselves into that spot. So again, it's Ole Miss and Georgia at 6 Central on Wednesday night, and then after that, Vanderbilt and Arkansas. The second round games on Thursday, Alabama the 9 seed against Tennessee the 8 seed. That's the first game at noon Central. And then you've got the winner of Georgia and Ole Miss against Florida after that. The first evening game is at 6 o'clock Central, Missouri and Texas A&M, and then uh, Vanderbilt, Arkansas, the winner of that. I I think I said Missouri a second ago. Missouri actually ended up as the 10 seed. So it's the winner of Vanderbilt and Arkansas playing South Carolina in the late game on Thursday night. And then quarterfinals, the four teams that get the, uh, the double bye, Kentucky the one seed, will play the winner of Alabama-Tennessee. Mississippi State, as the four seed in the second game of the day on Friday, will play either Florida or the winner of Georgia Ole Miss. Auburn will take on the winner of Missouri and Texas A&M. And LSU, who is the three seed in the tournament, will get either South Carolina or the winner of Vanderbilt-Arkansas. So that's kind of the first three days. You get into the semifinals on Saturday and, of course, the championship game at noon Central Time on ESPN on Sunday. And so, Michael Borky, poll question for today. Poll question, I'm putting it up as I speak. Will somebody that is not Kentucky win the SEC tournament? What do you think, hey, Dad? It's it's, it's tough because I think Kentucky is probably the best team, and everybody, but everybody has a flaw. I mean, Auburn, LSU, State, obviously, Florida, all the way down. Some there's no truly elite team in there. So I'm going to say that you could you could feel pretty comfortable taking the field that Kentucky could mess up and, and lose a game. The question is where. You know, it depends if they're playing State on Saturday. Can State beat them? I don't know. Maybe. Um, I think they're sure the best. they I think can. Kentucky, I think Kentucky gets to the final and probably gets knocked off there if it's going to happen. Probably, if I had to pick a team that I, my favorite to win this is probably Auburn, just because they, you know, they did it a year ago. I think they they have the talent to do it. I like Bruce Pearl in these kind of situations, and I just I just don't feel as comfortable with Kentucky for whatever reason as I probably should. All right, so for the top four seeds, give me what you think the flaw is. What's the flaw for Kentucky? Well, they they seem to have some infighting the past couple weeks. Was it Hagens that didn't play on Saturday and didn't that make correct. the trip? And, and so you have know, you seen the video that that's circling around now of him with the big wad of cash. Yeah, people are drawing connections between his absence and the fact that he was on Snapchat holding a 
extremely large amount of money. And I'm usually very anti, like, immediately going to cheating when you see a kid with money because it's not illegal to have money. But this is a, a it's lot. A bundle. It's a lot of cash this kid's holding on Snapchat. I would say the flaw for Kentucky has been the ability to close games out. Like, yeah. big lead, can't hold on and finish it, although they kind of went the opposite direction on Saturday with Florida, had a right. big deficit, and came back and got a fortuitous review from the officials and uh, got the bucket to win by one after trailing big to uh, Florida earlier in that game. The two-seed, Auburn. When I look at Auburn, the flaw for me is their three-point shooting is not very good. Now, they still shoot a ton of threes, and at one point this year made 18 threes in a game. So they are capable if they get hot. But over the course of the year, they are the worst three-point shooting team in the SEC, and that is on the heels of making more three-point baskets in the, in a season last year than anybody else in college basketball and making the second-most three-pointers in a single season in the history of college basketball. So, hey, Dad, what do you see as the flaw for Auburn? The same. And they, they okay. think they're a great three-point shooting team, and they aren't. And it's, I mean, it's got to be incredibly frustrating for, for Bruce Pearl to have some of the post players he has and his guys continue to, to throw up three pointers game after game. And they, they will eventually run into a team that can shut that down. And, and, you know, that's what's going to be their postseason flaw this year is they, they're, they're going to have a game where they're not hitting threes, but they're going to keep throwing them up and they don't go in. And that's how they're going to go out at some point. You, you know, the interesting thing about that is Bruce Pearl recognizes that they're not a good three pointing shooting team. Right. But they're not changing their philosophy. They're still taking no. them. No. And he's okay with that. I mean, it, they are a volume three-point team. And I guess the thought is if you shoot enough of them, then you're likely going to make enough to give you a, a, enough to get the win, I suppose. What's the flaw for LSU? LSU just has – there's just something about them in terms of mentally – I, I don't like them sometimes. You know, they have they they were they went through that winning streak where they were really they were good, but they were winning a lot of close games, and so that has sort of balanced back out. And they, you know, since well, they went eight eight straight to start SEC play. I think that's what it was. Since then, what lost at Vanderbilt, at Auburn, at Alabama, obviously to Kentucky. They lose at Florida, at Arkansas. They just have they're just not playing well right now. I don't think mentally that team is is where it wants to be. Yeah. Well, I, I think the story for LSU all season long, and, and they've been able to mask it at times with the play of Skylar Mays, they don't have a point guard. Yeah. Javante Smart is not it. I mean, they, they lost Tremont Waters, and he's playing in the NBA now. And he was a guy that had the ability not only to handle running the point and distributing the basketball, but taking over a game from that position. And generally speaking, you win with guards in March, and I don't know that LSU uh, has got the guard play to do it. Love Skyler Mays, love his leadership on that team, but uh, in terms of carrying a team through the point guard spot, I don't know that Skyler Mays can do that. And then with Mississippi State, I would say the flaw is inconsistency. At times, they look great. They look great on the defensive end at times. Reggie Perry has been the most consistent piece, obviously, for Mississippi State, averaging a double-double through basically the entire season. But Tyson Carter's been a little up and down. Nick Weatherspoon will be great in protecting the basketball. 
and then you go through a game where he turns it over four times or six times and is just kind of out of rhythm. When Mississippi State is clicking on all cylinders, they're as talented as any team in the SEC, Kentucky included. But they just haven't been able to consistently play to that talent level. Yeah, you literally do not know from game to game what team you're getting with Mississippi State. You don't know who's going to show up. Uh, if it's and like you said, it's if it's the team where Perry is playing as, as well as he can, and Nick Weatherspoon is taking care of the basketball, and Tyson Carter is shooting the ball well, then I'll put them up against anybody in the country. But if you get those the opposite of those, and, and Perry is getting frustrated early with some physical play, and Nick Weatherspoon is playing out of control and turning the ball over, and Tyson Carter is not being consistent with his shot. Vanderbilt could beat them on the right night. So, yeah, you, you literally don't know what you're going to get. And you know, if you get good state, they could make a run here and, and get themselves into the NCAA tournament. If you get bad state, they're going to go out on Friday and they'll be playing in the NIT. Borky, um, is the SEC tournament wide open this year? Wide open, as in more than four teams can win it. Whatever I think, I think the, the list might be very, very small. I mean, look, Mississippi State very well could. I just that, that's your four seed, and I don't see them winning this tournament. So I think the, I think the answer is no. I, with, with the exception of Kentucky and maybe Florida and Auburn, I don't see anybody else sneaking up and winning this thing. So I think the answer is no. This has been a very top-heavy league this year, and the tops not all that great to begin with but I mean we've talked about it all year long right is what's wrong with the SEC why is it only a three or four bid league and I think this weekend will show you exactly or at least it'll prove that to be true I, I guess maybe the the opposite I would say of that is if you look to the quarterfinal matchups is there a scenario where you could see Alabama or Tennessee beating Kentucky maybe not likely but possible that's why they play the games, yeah. I guess. Is Florida Mississippi State or Ole Miss Mississippi State a coin flip in a quarterfinal? I'd say probably so. Could AM continue to play scrappy and, you know, they beat Auburn a week ago? Could they beat Auburn in the quarterfinals? Maybe. Could Vanderbilt make a bunch of threes? Could South Carolina beat LSU? Sure. Now, maybe once you get to the semifinals, things settle down a bit. Scott Berry joins us next, Farm Bureau Phone Line. Back with you Monday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad today. Scott Berry joins us right now for his weekly Monday visit during baseball season. Joins us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Expected it to be a four-game week. Wednesday's game against Mississippi State, though, was postponed because of weather issues in Pearl, so it was a three-game series this weekend at the Pete. A Friday night win, 11-4 to over Little Rock, a win on Saturday, 4-1, to and then Southern Miss dropped the Sunday game, yesterday's game, 5-1 to to Little Rock. So, Coach, uh, two out of three on the weekend. You win another series, get to 11-4. and do you feel okay about the weekend? Yeah, you know, Richard, we really, uh, I hate we didn't, weren't able to finish the job on Sunday because anytime you can win the first two games, obviously you've won the series, but you have, you have a chance to do something really special, and that's win three games, all of them. And, uh, that comes from a lot of hard work. You know, it was 
people that know the game of baseball, they understand it's it's hard to win. You got to do a lot of things right to win, and you got to have things go your way. But you know, Sunday we uh, we drew a pretty tough one, and uh, the Funk kid, the uh, right-hander that that Little Rock had, his numbers were really good going in, and he backed it up yesterday against us. Walker Powell on uh, Friday night, first time that he's pitched on Friday this year. You uh, you do that because of injury, seven innings, seven hits, only two earned runs, nine strikeouts, and a walk through 93 pitches. Uh, if you could get that from him pretty much every weekend, you'd be okay with that, wouldn't you? Well, sure would. I think that was his 41st start, career start for us. And the one thing that Walker has really been able to maintain, and, and one thing that we're always hoping everybody does is consistency. And, you know, he proved it again on Friday night. Came out a little shaky in, in the first inning. In all honesty, we didn't play defensively well behind him, didn't make a couple plays that put him behind the eight ball early. We were down three, but then. You know, Little Rock returns a favor in the bottom half, and uh, we come back and cut it three to two. But from that point on, uh, Walker really just, uh, you know, was Walker. Just threw up a lot of zeros, never gave him momentum. We were able to increase the lead and, and then win that game 11 to four. Sometimes we make too much of the idea of an ace and, you know, being the guy that pitches in game one, but that's the role that Walker Powell was in. But then he's been a game two guy for you. Do you think that matters to pitchers, to, to players, to, to kind of be able to carry that banner as I'm the guy that gets the ball in game number one? Well, I think you know it's the same. I think it's the same feeling as the guy that wants to be at the plate when the game's on the line. You know, there's some guys they don't like that. You know, in all honesty, you said you wonder how they get in your lineup sometimes, but <laughs> you know, you can just see their numbers don't don't uh, don't indicate that they're that kind of people. And then there's those other guys that you're like, hey. The game's on the line, that's the dude I want out there. And I think it's the same way with pitching. There's some guys that are comfortable pitching on Sundays, uh, you know, just like there's some on Saturdays. And then there's those that stick their chest out on Fridays and, hey, I want the ball. I want to be the leader to lead this series. So, you know, I think one thing about Walker, he is he's played every one of those roles early in his career. He was our Sunday guy. Then he worked into the Saturday guy. And then, of course, uh, with Shepard going down this week, we bumped him up. Had a day short rest and put him on Friday, and you know I thought he I thought he carried that torch really well on Friday. Walker, in particular, but your staff as a whole, in terms of strikeout to walk ratio, he's twenty two strikeouts, only two walks on the season. Obviously, that's really really good. But as a staff, you're a little bit better than three to one. Is that just because you've got guys that that know where it's going and they can control it and they can pitch in big situations? Or is that kind of by design with, with maybe the approach that you're taking as a staff? Well, you know, that's probably a Coach Ostrander uh, question more than, than it is for me. But just being able to observe from the side, uh, you know, it seems like that we have guys that throw strikes, and that's what you want. Any uh, time that you have that 3-1 that to one or a little better than 3-1 to one ratio, it indicates that you're a strike thrower and you don't, you know, issue too many free passes. And obviously that's that's the goal going in is to, to get advantage counts uh, in, in our favor as far as a pitcher and don't be behind him counts. Stay out of those three-ball counts. Puts you vulnerable to, to ball four. But, you know, that's uh, – Coach Oz does a great job working with those guys and, and really uh, trying to get them to buy in, to, to attack and early. You know, the most important pitch is strike one, and uh, that's what we try to do is lead out with that. You know, right now, Richard, the, the stats kind of indicate they're doing a pretty good job of it. 
Yeah, yeah, they certainly are. What about Ben Etheridge on Saturday? He gives you seven innings, only gives up one run. Um, you know, it doesn't blow you away with the strikeout numbers, the walk numbers, but looks like he really pitched well on Saturday. He did, you know, and then you pinch yourself because he's just a freshman, you know, kid at West Lauderdale last year. A uh, very historically sound program that Coach Boatner built, and it's just continued to carry on that tradition. Those guys come out of that program knowing how to play, and, and Ben's no different. I think you look at that young man, how he came in in the fall. He had a live arm. He's, his velo isn't where he is right now, but it's gotten up there because of the development, everything that, that we do and, and people do in Division One baseball. But the weight room has been really important to him. He's, he's really worked hard in here. Our strength coaches get after him, and, and, and that's what's increased that. And with that comes confidence. And I think that's why you see a freshman in Division One baseball able to go out there and compete. Uh, and it was really good to see him put those back-to-back quality starts last week against Valparaiso in a four-game series. Uh, that we had to really, you know, uh, uh, introduce him to that role. He'd been in relief prior to that, and he did a good job. And uh, we we need to see if he could back it up this week, and especially with Shepard out. You know, it was a no-brainer to put him out there, and he answered the call. Visiting with uh, Scott Berry, head baseball coach at Southern Miss on the Farm Bureau phone line on Sports Talk Mississippi. So you mentioned Gabe Shepard. Obviously, we talked last week about him dealing with some uh, some shoulder tendonitis. Any update on his condition right now and, and whether or not he'll be back in the rotation as you roll into conference play this weekend? Well, there's been no decision on whether he'll be back on, in the rotation. But uh, prior to your call, I was just in the bullpen with him. And, of course, his words were, it feels amazing. So, you know, you just have to caution on on the side of, of not, you know, re-injuring something, not pushing something too early. Not that I'm sitting here saying that we won't uh, pitch him this weekend. That's still out, I think. But I think when the decision is made, we'll make it that we feel very, very strongly that he is he's ready to get back on there and that we're not jeopardizing anything that would that hurt us in the future. So, uh, but he he has said since Friday that he feels really really good. So he looked good throwing the ball. Just a second. Midweek game against Troy, traditionally a uh, pretty good baseball program. You play them in Montgomery before you roll into conference play. So quick thought on Troy, and then we'll kind of get into into the league. You know, Troy, uh, they're nine and eight on the year. Uh, a very offensive club. They're hitting over three hundred. Uh, return a lot of position players from last year. I know early in the first couple of series that I kind of followed them, they were putting up double-digit numbers every game. So, you know, with with returning all those guys from last year, uh, certainly I can see those numbers being where they are. But uh, a veteran club on there, I don't know what their pitch is like. I know the guy that's throwing against us tomorrow or, or at least starting. He's the same guy that started us against us here last year in our last midweek game of the, of the, of the year. So, uh Certainly, uh, you know, they'll probably be like us. We're going with Drew Boyd, and then we'll staff it from there and, and get ready for the weekend. Scott, you don't exactly ease into league play with uh, FIU coming to your place uh, starting uh, 6 o'clock on, on Friday night. Maybe just kind of a big-picture thought about Conference USA through through four weekends with conference play starting. Well, I think in every league, Richard, it's amazing how all of a sudden a team might not be playing very well in the non-conference games prior to conference starting, and then there's a a whole new season that begins at that point, and it's what we call the second season, and it's our conference season, and it's it's really, really important in our league. It's 30 games, uh, highly competitive every weekend is, is you know, the parity's there. FIU, you know, on Friday they're going to 
throw Logan Allen, a really good lefty from last year that is the pit, uh, preseason conference pitcher of the year. So he's got a, a, a predominantly older team as well coming in. So big challenge for us this weekend with with FIU. People uh, kind of go back and forth on calling it a, a marathon or a sprint. It's obviously 30 games, and it goes really quickly. But uh, I guess to some degree you kind of got to pace yourself and, and not get ahead and get past just one game because they all count the same, right? They do. I mean, you have really got to <laughs> slow the season down. You know, we're, you know, we're sitting here and almost a, a quarter of our season is gone now. Uh, and then we hit the, the conference uh, opens on Friday. And then now it'll really start accelerating. It seems like it goes really quick. Next thing you know, conference tournament. And then everybody's waiting for uh, the day that, to see if the bids come out and you get them. So you just got to really slow it down and take it one game at a time. You know, when we left our meeting yesterday after the game, uh, certainly we addressed some things that we uh, that we missed on, on the opportunity to win. But then we left them behind us, and we focused on our next uh, next game, which is the most important game, which is, which is Troy. And, and that's what we'll focus on, and we won't worry about FIU until Wednesday. So uh, it'll get here soon enough. Coach, r- real quick as we wrap up, any uh, any dates possible for uh, making up the game of Mississippi State? I have not had any communication with anything, so no, not that I know of. I know it's going right. to get really, really – honestly, it's going to get really hard with our schedule, and I think uh, Coach Lamonis has, has pretty much indicated the same thing with him. Because now you start mixing the Braves schedule in there. And now you got three different schedules to try to work out one game, and, and it, gets, yep. it gets kind of dicey at that point. All right. But as of now, no, nothing has been discussed. Coach, thanks so much for your time. We'll catch you next Monday. All right, Richard. Thank you. That's Scott Barry on the Farm Bureau phone line. conversation with uh, Scott Berry. Maybe a little bit of news there at the end of that chat, asking him about the possibility of rescheduling the game with Mississippi State, said nothing has been determined at this point, not a lot of conversation about that, other than the fact that it gets kind of difficult from a scheduling standpoint, because not only do you have the midweek schedule that Southern Miss already has, and the Southern and Mississippi State's midweek schedule, but also uh, you enter into the fact that the Mississippi Braves have home games. There are already some games in the midweek that are going to be played at uh, at Trustmark uh, because of what you got Ole Miss and Southern playing there. You got the Governor's Cup there later in the year. Hey, that does not sound like it's terribly likely that that game is going to be made up. Yeah, and uh, we we talked to Coach Lamonis about that on Thursday, and and. I'm not sure if this is breaking news or not, but that game can only be made up in Pearl. There's no way to make it up in Starkville or Hattiesburg. So, really, yeah, what Coach Barry? Yeah, that's what they said because of the. I forget what it's called, but you know, they they they, some company puts these games together. Yeah, the agreement with the promoters of the game, I'm sure. Right. So there's there's no the, the game has to be made up in Pearl. So. You know, you would think that okay, well, we we can't do it in Pearl this day, but can we do it in Hattiesburg? Can we do it in Starkville? No, that that's not the case. Hmm. So really small window in which it could even potentially be made up, so doesn't sound likely, which usually means you either just let that game go or you end up scheduling a SWAC team or somebody else in the area to come in and play just a one-off game at your place. Yes, they had to do that last year. They, they scheduled Louisiana Tech for a late game uh, because huh. they, they, missed the, they had a game for they couldn't make up for rain. Yeah, well, didn't that turn into the fundraiser game or something? Am I crazy? 
That sounds right. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that, yeah. The, the money donated went to Louisiana Tech because they remember they had the uh, the tornado uh, destroyed their stadium. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, good to be with you this afternoon. 601-879-4395. That's the number for the C Spire text line. We'll get more in-depth into the baseball weekends for Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Chris Lamonis uh, talked with Brian Haydad earlier today. We'll have that interview coming up for you in the 4 o'clock hour. Also, Mike Bianco will join us at uh, 20 minutes after 5 for his weekly conversation uh, coming up after Ole Miss's sweep. But uh, you were there for at least part of all three of the games uh, this weekend. Quinnipiac was 1-8 and eight coming in, but this did not look like a series between an SEC team and a 1-8 and eight team. No, and, and, but I think that's more about Mississippi State than, than Quinnipiac, who I thought was not very good. Uh, okay. But Mississippi State continued to struggle at the plate, uh, compounded that with some struggles in the field. I think on Saturday and uh, Sunday combined, they had, of the runs they gave up, and they gave up, what, seven runs total, I want to say four or five of those, I have to go back and look to be sure, were a result of errors or wild pitches. Um, State had to get a walk-off win on Saturday to, to, to get the, the, the sweep, you know, and to win the series, and they got the sweep on, uh, on Sunday in the game they trailed as well. It's really sort of funny to me, and I asked Coach Lamonis about this in the interview we'll hear in just a little bit, but we were all so concerned about State's pitching and their bullpen, and that's what's carrying the team in the early the first month of the season is the pitching has been really, really good, even with the loss of JT Ginn, but the hitting has just not come around the way you would like it to. Now, you saw some flashes this week, and you've got you know three guys above 300 now. Hatcher had a big week to get it to about 280, but Pimentel and, and Hancock and, and – uh, a couple other guys. I mean, you know, Combus, they're just not getting it done at the plate right now. So State is, I mean, you're playing Texas Tech this week, one of the best hitting teams in the country. You, you've got to find a way to get the bats going this week with, with five huge games. So Texas Tech, two games in Biloxi, and Texas Tech's coming off of a weekend series against Rice. I don't know, remember if they won two of three or if they swept that series. I know they trailed, um, Early or maybe had a yeah whatever uh, whatever I think had pretty early but then they did sweep yeah because I remember I remember seeing that they walked it off yesterday for a sweep yeah they swept yeah okay I want to say they were down like eight to one on Saturday and then came back and won sixteen to ten or or something like that it's a good baseball program Tim Tadlock's a really good baseball coach he is he he falls into the throwback coach category he is. The ultimate perfect fit for Texas Tech, West Texas guy, you know, Texas high school baseball player, JUCO ranks, all of those things, and has taken a program that was just, you know, just okay in the Big 12 and made them a perennial power. So that is a big midweek two game set down in Biloxi. And then Arkansas rolling in to start league play and Arkansas. Pretty highly thought of coming into the year, a little less highly thought of right now. Yeah, you know, able to get two out of three this weekend against South Alabama, but has not been playing the, the brand of baseball that you you would associate with Arkansas. With Connor Nolan, we'll see if he's able to pitch this weekend. But you know, we knew they weren't an elite pitching staff coming into the season, but it, it has not been good for them so far. All right, we'll talk about how it unfolded in Oxford, how it unfolded in Starkville. Good visit uh, just a few minutes ago with Scott Barry on the Farm Bureau phone line. But up next, winners and losers. What did you like from the weekend? 
What did you not like? What stood out as an, a, a, a winning performance? What was a losing performance? We want your submissions on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. We'll give you ours as well. Winners and losers coming up next at Sports Talk Mississippi on a Monday. Start a spring break with Sports Talk Mississippi, Monday afternoon, rolling with you into the 4 o'clock hour. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey is off today and tomorrow. Thank you for being with us. You want to be a part of the show? Well, you can do so on the C Spire text line. That number is 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Experience healthcare on call with the C Spire Health app. Skip the waiting room and get treated by a UMMC licensed nurse practitioner right from your phone from anywhere in Mississippi. Learn more at cspirehealth.com. Time right now for winners and losers. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. I'm a loser, baby. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. Winner never win. What did you like this weekend? What stuck out is, that's no good. Stuff that goes on the winner's list. Stuff that goes on the loser's list. Hey, Dad, you get to hit leadoff today. Who's your winner? All right. Sounds good. Uh, I'm going to go with my beloved Los Angeles Lakers. They had a great week last week. Uh, beat the Sixers, Bucks, and Clippers on Sunday. Uh, you know, the Sixers were sort of injury riddled, but... A win is a win there. But taking out the Bucks at full strength and getting the Clippers. You know, the Lakers, their, their one issue this these past few months has been they hadn't had a great record against the elite teams. They had lost the uh, the Celtics, the Sixers, the Bucks, the Clippers. Uh, but to get two wins over the two teams that in all likelihood they will play in the Western Conference Finals and the uh, the NBA Finals should they get there, what was very good to see. And LeBron James. Uh, I was going to say, Conference that was awfully of presumptive of you there just for a moment. Should they get there? But I mean, they're 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 the favorites to do that. So, good week for the Lakers. Good week for the Lakers. Hey, uh, Borky, winner. The XFL. So they had an officiating gaffe at the end of the Houston Seattle game, where the refs basically said the game was over, but there were two seconds left in a nine point game. And the thing is, in the XFL, a nine point game is still a one score game. Officials called the game over. Steve Levy on the broadcast was asking the replay guy, it's not like the teams are across the country. They're in the locker room. You can pull them back on the field, and why aren't you doing that when you know you screwed up? And and they just didn't let it happen. So a weird ending to that game. But here's what they did afterwards. I'm going to read the statement. statement doesn't matter. It's the action that really matters, but still. They said Saturday's Seattle Dragons-Houston Roughnecks game should not have ended as it did. Replay showed clearly that the knee of Houston quarterback P.J. Walker touched the field, rendering him down, and the fourth down play officially completed with approximately two seconds remaining on the clock, effectively turning the ball over to Seattle on downs. With a nine-point differential in the score, Seattle was denied an opportunity to tie the game. The XFL sincerely regrets the error. So pretty transparent statement. That's nice. But here's the kicker. In addition, 
Wes Booker, who served as officiating supervisor for Saturday's game, has been reassigned. They held somebody accountable for screwing up. Imagine that. I, I don't get it. What I don't I don't understand what just happened. How is that possible? Logic, I, I was under apparently. the impression not possible. Yeah. Well. Wh- wh- which part? You, you're talking about the accountability piece. You can be. You can hold officials and stuff accountable accountable for mistakes they make. You can't just you know keep giving them plumb assignments. I don't. I didn't know that was possible. Okay. So hey, Dad, does this does this satisfy your officials are evil? They can do no right. When they screw up, punish them. And you're okay yes. with this? Yeah. Sure. But you're not jumping up and down and screaming and talking about the incompetence of allowing a game to end that should not have ended. I mean, at that point, I don't think there's anything you can do. The game's over, right? You're just, you're just screwed at that point. But to go back and, like, yeah, we screwed up, so there's going to have to be consequences. If this was the NFL, they'd just been like, well, sucks for that team, but business as usual. So, so you're saying that when a basketball official in a league that is close to where we are initiates contact with a coach and then tries to blame it on the coach, mm-hmm. only gets quietly sat down for one game, that, that this is a better way, perhaps, of dealing with issues like that? Are you saying I think it should be made, the discipline should be made public and it should be, you know, not excessive, but it should fit the crime a little bit. Is that yeah, what you're asking what me? Getting at. Yes, that's what should happen. Would it lead to better officiating? I don't know if it would or not, but I know that that's just the right thing to do. I would love to ask that question. C Spire text line 601-879-4395 because I know we've got officials in all different sports, at all different levels, who listen to the show. And I know that because I've talked to a bunch of you, uh, whether it is NFL officials or college football officials or college basketball officials or officials at the high school level. So we all know that human error is part of the game, right? Players make mistakes. They're very public. Officials make mistakes, and usually... Anything that happens in terms of corrective actions are very quiet and are very behind the scenes. So if you are an official, college, professional, high school, any sport, how would you feel about the idea of any corrective measures being made public? Would you be on board with that idea? Or is that a really bad precedent? And if it is a bad precedent, tell me why. Just hit us on the ceasefire text line. You, I mean, if you want to give me your name, that's fine. I will not rat you out publicly. I'm just, just curious. It's a good question. I mean, especially like in the college game, right? I mean, college athletes are still kids for the most part. I know at least my mentality and maturity level when I was 20 uh, was still that of a, of a kid. Um, if a college player a college athlete misses a class, gets suspended for a game. That information's public. Everybody knows that this player screwed up. Even worse, what if they get a minor in possession? Well, yeah. Minor in possession of alcohol. Kids 20s at a bar having a beer. 
gets arrested. That's everywhere. Everywhere. But an official gets suspended for a game. We keep that private? Like the adult here, the the grown adult man gets more protection than the 20-year-old kid? I don't like that. Yeah. Quarterback throws an interception in the last two minutes of a game. They're down by five. Throws an interception in the end zone. After the game, he has to sit in front of 10 television cameras and a few more reporters. Why did that happen? What did you see? Where did you screw up? How do you feel? The kid has to answer more than the grown adult in the room. So, I'm fine with it. C Spire Outstanding Player Trophies were awarded today for basketball. You had the Gillum Trophy and the Howell Trophy, and both of those trophies this year go to Starkville. Uh, Reggie Perry wins the C Spire Howell Trophy for the best men's player in all of college basketball in the state of Mississippi. And uh, Rakia Jackson wins the Gillum Trophy uh, from C Spire for the uh, best women's player. Congratulations to both of them, both on the winners list. I think Reggie Powell, uh, er, Powell, Reggie Perry, would have won the award regardless. I think, but his performance on Saturday probably left no doubt. Yeah, no question. And then Tyree having such a bad game. If Tyree had gone out there and thrown up another forty point game. Might have might have changed that. Although I I don't know when the votes went came in, so they may have already been done. But that's, let me ask you this, uh, Hayden. Go ahead. If if we flipped the performances, if a month ago in Oxford, Mississippi State had won by twenty five, and Reggie Perry had been really really good, which he was good in both of those games, yeah. but he had gone for twenty two and fourteen. But on Saturday, Ole Miss had won by twenty five in Starkville. And Bree and Tyree had gone from four, for 40? Mm-hmm. Would the outcome of that trophy have been the same? Possibly not. Very possibly not. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, like, yeah it, it's funny how that works. Uh, likely, uh, certainly two All-SEC performers. We should have two first-team All-SEC performers in Reggie Perry and Bree and Tyree. We'll see if that's how it turns out to uh, to be. I don't have any question in my mind that Reggie Perry is going to be first-team All-SEC. There's so many good guards, though, in the the league this year that uh, I think you could potentially see uh, Tyree as a second-team All-SEC guy. We'll get to uh, some of your winners and losers when we come back, and also uh, we need to throw some losers out there. We'll continue. Sports Talk Mississippi right after this. love our listening audience because of the um, diversity of opinions and diversity of experience. So, Borky, I threw it out there, and here you go. As a current Division One official for the NCAA who has worked national championships at the D1 and D2 level, public suspension of officials after game-critical decisions will not improve officiating. The pipeline for officials wanting to take our spots is motivation to do our absolute best. Trust me, when we screw up, it eats at us and hurts more than you can know. The conferences won't allow us to apologize or comment. Whether it's right or wrong, that's the world we live in, and that's what we signed up for. It's great perspective. That second-to-last line, I think, is the problem. And especially, there's layers to it. Just like 
in a legal situation, the punishment for speeding is far less than the punishment for driving while under the influence of alcohol. So when it's just an officiating mistake where a human just just screwed up because that happens sometimes. You missed the holding call. Right. So be it. That happens. But when it's egregious to the point like at the end of this XFL game, I don't know if you've seen the replay, they, they just ended the game when it wasn't over. When it's a mismanagement when it's an incompetence thing, then I think it should be treated differently than a missed holding call or you threw the flag for pass interference and after slow-mo, like very close replay, turns out he got there on time. Yeah. It's completely different things. But I think the conference not allowing them to, to speak to the media or just, hey, man, I, I missed that call. We went back and looked at the video. I thought I saw that in real time. When you look at the replay, turns out, I missed the call. I'm really sorry about that. I'll try to get better. Boom. That's all most people are asking for. Yeah. Ceasefire text line. Making a mistake is different from making a mistake and refusing to take responsibility. For instance, if you call an Ivy League, uh, a school an Ivy League that isn't an Ivy League school with the (laughs) crying face emoji. Yes. We can, on a daily slash hourly slash sometimes bi-hourly basis, point out in real time Richard's mistakes. And yes, I just went third person on you. Oh, man. People don't forget. That's all right. Holding us accountable daily. Love it. I appreciate uh, that. Any losers before we get to the ceasefire text lines, winner and losers? The American Athletic Conference. Now, mm-hmm. I am not going to be a coronavirus truther. What you should do is listen to the health of experts and what they tell you to do, you should do. However, the AAC with their conference tournament coming up this week, is banning, well, not banning, but not allowing the teams to shake hands before or after the game to help (laughs) prevent the spread of coronavirus. Do they not understand what happens during the basketball game? (laughs) How stupid are you that you think that the handshake line is somehow worse than the actual game itself? That is so stupid, and that makes you a loser. Have we reached the point in time where the fist bump is going to officially place uh, replace the handshake as the greeting of choice? So they told NBA teams uh, when they're going off and on the court to give fans fist bumps instead of high fives as if it's still not your hands touching each other. Like, what do you think? Coronavirus is hanging out on these people's hands, just like waiting for it to open for a high five? Like, fist bump, oh, can't do it. Like... The disease isn't drawing a line with a closed or an open fist, but okay. we, you know, what do I know? Fair enough. Hey, Dad, you got a loser? I do, and this was a very interesting story I saw at an awful announcing. His name is Pranav Rama. Who is he? That's a good question. Uh, he is the reporter who decided to question Jeff Akuta, who is the cornerback for Ohio State, likely to be a uh, top ten draft choice in the upcoming draft, about his technique. Said you've been sloppy at times. And Okuda asked him, like, sloppy in what way? Sloppy like penalties and stuff like that. Okuda looks at him and goes, I had zero pass interferences, zero holdings. Cut the tape on again. I think you might see something else. So good job by Okuda, right? Got asked a question, answered it directly. Okay. This guy goes on to go on to Twitter and is like, oh, I'm the guy who did that. And, you know, hey, man, it may just be a play or two, but those plays are the difference between a Super Bowl and sitting on the couch at home. It's our job to ask the tough questions, whether people like this or not. By the way, this guy works for a blog called The Scorecrow that has, you know, like 
has fewer followers than any of us do on Twitter. Uh, then he gets on the next day. He comes on and he says, "I've decided to leave the sports media business. I see the that it's it's not a business based on respect." Blah blah blah. No, he got fired. He got fired from his blog job uh, because they said he did a he embarrassed them, and then by doubling down on it, he embarrassed them even more. So. Do your research is what I'm trying to say. If you're going to go ask somebody a question, try to have an idea of, of what's going on there. That's a bad look for for a lot of people, in my opinion. All right. Not for Akuda though. He looked good. I feel like there are multiple directions that I could go for the losers list with the strike three, non-strike three call <laughs> in the ninth inning of the Saturday game between Mississippi State and Quinnipiac. Um, yeah, what were your thoughts on that? It, well, first of all, it was a strike. Agreed. Second of all, you probably don't need to go in that aggressively on the umpire. <laughs> but if you're going to go in on the umpire, I'm probably not going to do it my back to him. I mean, if... if if you're going to get run, you might as well get your money's worth. And I'm not sure, like, pumping your fist at the air with your back to the umpire is the best way to get run. Yeah, yeah. he can still hear what you're saying. It, multiple, multiple layered take here, at least the, the one that I formulated. One, I think that is a strike. And the, the people that said to me on Twitter, oh, it was clearly not, I don't know what you are watching. Uh, a strike is a strike. I don't care what he was calling the all ball game. Crosses the plate in and the vacuum, framing and whatnot. And I, I get it, but that's a strike in college baseball. It is. And two, I understand why it wasn't called. I mean, the kid missed his spot by like eighteen inches. So you're giving the umpire an incentive not to call it a strike when you missed your spot so egregiously. Three, I think the umpire actually did a good job at first because he he clearly didn't want to toss the kid like. He misses or makes the call. Whatever you agree or disagree with doesn't matter. That kid got a chance to yell at the umpire more than most kids do. And it looked like the ump was going to let it go if he just puts his mask on or walks to his pitcher. But that last thing he said, you know, he turned his head and said one more thing, that got him run. I thought the umpire let him go more than most would have, and I thought that was good. Does that make sense? If you watch the video back, the kid got to say some things before he got run, and yeah, it was that last thing like he four said. seconds in real time. It's not like it's not like he let a coach come out and argue for thirty seconds, turned his back, walked away. Coach right. kept going, and then he ran him. Right, but still, there was at least a window where the kid like said some things and was given the chance to cool it, and didn't cool it, and then he got run. Okay. Do you agree? Um. I just hate when guys get thrown out for being frustrated with things that they have a reason to be frustrated about. But you can't show up an umpire. You can't, I guess. There's a line somewhere. Uh, I just, I don't know. Probably. <laughs> I'm just... I'm intentionally not saying some things that stand out to me about it, but for whatever reason. Um, Can you explain didn't get to see the uh, state game? 
So yeah, hey dad, ninth inning on Saturday, and, and you had bailed to go to basketball at that point, right? I was, yeah, I, I missed all the fun. Yeah. So the ninth but I inning, seen the Mississippi replay, State so. trailing was, and and I, I may not get this sequence exactly right. I looked at the play by play earlier, so it was walk, hit by a pitch, walk, walk, hit by a pitch, or something like that. There were right. After one out, there were four consecutive free passes one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And was there a base hit to win it, or did a walk win yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, Hatcher had a lead-off. I'm sorry, a walk-off isn't the word I'm looking for. All right, so you got a base hit to, uh, to win it to, to win 5-4. to four. But there was a, in, in that sequence, catcher to a left-handed hitter, I think. That's Doesn't right. It doesn't really matter. It was an inside pitch. So a left-handed pitch, so hitter. Yeah. Was set up outside corner, outer third, whatever. So up the third baseline. Pitch has some late life, runs in, and it nips the inside corner as it crosses the plate and would have been a called third strike for the second out of the inning. But it was called ball four, I guess, and you got to walk, and the catcher starts kind of jumping around and fist-pumping the air and whatnot. And then he ultimately gets ejected, and Mississippi State goes on to win the game. There was um, was a lot of discussion about that after the fact in both directions. So that's what happened. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online, supertalk.fm. Brian Haydad talked with Chris Lamonis, head baseball coach at Mississippi State. We will have that conversation for you coming up next. Like a big woolly man. Play Freebird! You gotta wear that coat. Not you, Borky. I was, you've I heard was that. trying to get it ready in time, just right out of time. You, you've heard it before. Hey, how about some tickets? What a chance to see Leonard Skinner in concert. It's coming up March 20th. At the Bancorp South Arena in Tupelo, we, each day this week, will give you a pair of tickets. All right, listen how to win, and then I'll tell you how you can win. You're going to text the C Spire text line. The number is 601-879-4395. Here are the instructions. Follow the instructions, or you cannot win. Leonard Skinner will be at the Bancorp South Arena in Tupelo on Friday, March 20th. This is the farewell tour of the legendary band and might be your last chance to see them live. Text the word FREEBIRD to the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Be the 14th texter, and you will win a pair of tickets. Why 14? Well, that's the number of studio albums put out by Leonard Skinner. There were 14 studio albums put out by Leonard Skinner. Be the 14th person to text the word FREEBIRD to the C Spire text line, and you will win a pair of tickets to see Skinner in Tupelo at the Bancorp South Arena on Friday, March 20th. Tickets also available at uh, Ticketmaster.com or at the Bancorp South Arena box office. So there you go. I have to look at the text line and watch how quickly this is happening. There it is. Free bird, free bird, free bird, free bird, free bird, free bird. I love it. Love it. All right. Earlier today, 
Brian Haydad sat down with Chris Lamonis, head baseball coach for Mississippi State. He's joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Here was their conversation. And we have winners, so thank you and no no more need to text. Freebird, 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 Freebird. Chris Lamonis, Mississippi State head baseball coach, joining us here on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Coach, you know us in the media. We love to label things. We love to make things, you know, maybe bigger than they actually are. But you're playing two teams that were with you in Omaha a season ago. You've got two midweek games against uh, a consensus top five team in Texas Tech and then a consensus top 15 team in Arkansas this weekend. Can I label this as a big week? Is it a a season-defining week? Is it a, a week that you know could be a turning point? How would you label this week? Well, I'd like to call it a big week um, because we are playing some great teams in great environments. Um, I wouldn't call it season-defining because our, our, our entire season now is, you know, this week it could be Arkansas, but next week it's LSU. And, man, it's just when you're in this league, you're playing uh, big weeks every week. But it is a big one uh, with two midweeks and then a big weekend starting SEC play at home. Um, you know, we're excited to get going and, and, and play these opponents. You, you had some injuries, obviously, with Tanner Allen and JT Ginn, but as your role here into conference play, is the team about where you thought it would be going into this particular week? Uh, I wouldn't say that. I mean, we're still um, – you know, I thought, you know, shoot, coming into the year, I thought our offense was our strength, and we just haven't – we haven't clicked on all cylinders. Now, Tanner's been a piece of that, you know, and not having, our, you know, probably our best pure hitter in the lineup. But still, we still have a lot of good hitters. And I, I was pleased as the weekend went on this weekend, we were a little better offensively. And I'm hoping that uh, keeps moving forward as we're playing uh, Texas Tech and Arkansas and just getting our guys going and comfortable and and uh, playing that way. So, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 50-50 right now on where we're at. I know we can play better baseball. You, you mentioned, you know, the, the hitting, and obviously the, those those veteran guys, those core guys, were what everybody was looking at. All five of them, you know, first or second team All SEC preseason. Allen's been out, but as of right now, you've got Rowdy Jordan, Jordan Westberg, Justin Foskey. They're all hitting over three hundred. And Josh Hatcher had a big weekend. He's around two eighty now. You know, if Hatcher's the guy who who had the big weekend last week, and it looks like he's he's getting into form, who can be the next guy you think that starts to get into form a little bit and, and get where you thought those expectations would be? Well, we got a couple guys like Luke Hancock and and Landon Jordan and Brandon Pimentel. Um, man, they had great great falls, great preseason. You know, they're some of the guys that I'm sitting here waiting on for them to start giving us some really good at bats and. And compete. I know we faced a lot of left-handers, but they hit left-handers. I mean, I was worried about Christian McLeod when the season started because we were hitting him pretty good. And then he starts pitching against other people, and he's dominating and one of the better left-handers out there. And then, you know, we've struggled in that area. So hopefully, um, you know, we can get some of those guys going and moving forward. Um, I've been happy with some of the young kids. Cameron James, uh, Logan Tanner have been giving us some really good at-bats. And Tanner Leggett's. And he's been a pest up there. He's just made a lot of things happen. So hopefully, as time goes on, those other guys will catch up and and start playing to their level. You sort of mentioned it there that you know coming into the season, most people would have said, okay, this team is going to be carried by its its hitting. But it's the pitching has done a really good job to the point where I would call, especially your bullpen, a bit of a pleasant surprise. Have you been surprised at how well those young guys have acclimated and are throwing so far? I have been. You know, especially the way Bednar and Sims came out of the shoot early. Now, we've moved Bednar into the rotation because of JT. But 
um, those two power arms. Um, but all the other pieces have been really good, too. We knew David Dunleavy, Carlisle Kostler, um, you know, were good guys. Houston Harding had a good start in his start, so we're hoping he can continue that. Um, but, yeah, I've been pretty pleased. I mean, some of those other pieces, we're going to need them here with these midweek games. And in SEC play, man, the opponent's just tougher. You need more arms. So we're going to need all those guys to help us. And you mentioned Christian McLeod, who you've moved now from Saturday to Friday, so he'll be the guy you know, facing against all of those those SEC aces, and there's so many of them on your schedule. But he has certainly looked the part this year. You know, Moving from Saturday to Friday, I thought he was very effective on Friday. I thought he, he really looked good. Again, it's sort of the same sort of question, but I didn't get to see him in the fall as much as you did, obviously. You kept telling us, hey, this kid's really good. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna surprise you. Consider me surprised, but are even you surprised at how effective he's been? Well, you're a little surprised. He's pitching at a high level right now. But, um, you know, last year he was probably a, mid, a, a weekend starter for us at the beginning of the season if he had just been healthy. And um, so we knew what we had. I mean, it's, it's really good stuff, but he's also, you know, good strike thrower and it's just, you know, plus breaking ball. We, we thought, you know, we'd get what we saw. It's just, you know, the injury held him back a year. And then this year coming back, it's been nice to be able to see him hold his, uh, you know, velo into starts right now. That was some of the stuff that we were concerned about, but he's done a great job. And then, you know, the back end of your starting rotation, Eric Sarantola, three innings on Sunday, he looked really, really good. Seemed to be in control, was getting guys out, and then it just sort of got away from him in the fourth inning. Was there something that that he told you, something with his delivery, something you saw – that, that let that get away from him, or is that just a, a mental bugaboo that, you know, you just have to come back and fight through that next week? You know, he was missing big on some certain pitches. Is why, you know, early on, I think we gave up a run on a wild pitch, and we gave up a couple bases, and we even struck a guy out, and, you know, the pitch landed about eight feet in front of the plate. So, it, you know, it just kind of, you know, started to unravel on him, and then there, as we got late, he just couldn't land any pitches. So, that was kind of what I saw and just didn't want them to get any more momentum in that inning because we couldn't throw a strike or, or do anything that way. So his stuff was good. He had good velo, good breaking ball. but And I don't mind the walk, but when it's big misses, big misses concern me. You know, when we're missing, you know, more than a regular, you know, a little bit off the plate. We were missing, you know, a handful of times, you know, a couple feet. So we wanted to get him out of there and, you know, and get David. And we knew David was a good matchup, even with the lefties. David has the ability to throw his change up at any time, and, and he was really good. Well, a huge midweek series. I, I don't remember a midweek series like this for Mississippi State in, in recent years, uh, taking on a team that in D1Baseball.com has the number four in the nation in Texas Tech. What do, what do you see out of the Red Raiders, and, and who, who are you going to go with uh, as far as pitching in these next two games? Well, we're going to start Houston Harding tomorrow, and then we're TBA. We're just not sure how we're going to play it yet. So, um We'll run Houston out there. He had a good start in his midweek a couple weeks ago, um, but we'll you know we'll try to figure it out. They're, they're, Texas Tech is really really hot right now, and um, a lot of power arms. Even though they use a lot of different arms, we'll probably see ten arms over the next two days. A lot of matchups, but they also um, they're just really hot offensively right now. And they lost all their offense last year and have come out and been been really hot. I think they're hitting over three thirty as a team. So. Um, you know, for us to, to get out there and, and pitch and pitch efficiently is, is huge and trying to, you know, and play good defense because when you play a good offensive team, you can't give them any freebies 
And then for us to jump out and be a little offensive and, and get things going. I was pleased, you know, on Sunday, Jordan Westberg had some really big swings. And Boskey didn't have a lot to show for it, but he, he kind of jumped on a couple balls. So I'm hoping, you know, as we keep swinging, um, we got to get these guys, you know, being able to jump on some fastballs, especially, you know, we'll see probably a handful of 90, 95-mile-an-hour arms over the next couple of days. That's one of their strengths. They have a lot of velocity. So hopefully our guys can, can jump out there and compete. Well, it should be a lot of fun for the Bulldog fans down there on the coast and in South Mississippi. Uh, I'm expecting big crowds uh, at, at MGM Park and Biloxi and then turn around and head back home for a huge uh, SEC series uh, this weekend. Coach Crystal Monis, thanks so much. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Brian. Have a great day. That was Brian Haydab with Chris Lamonis on the Farm Bureau phone line a little earlier today. Some good insight there. Big week coming up. Two games Tuesday and Wednesday against Texas Tech. And then the Arkansas Razorbacks roll into the dude this weekend. Take a quick timeout, and then we will finally circle back to your winners and losers as we wrap up the 4 o'clock hour. You on Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. I meant to read some of these and just ran out of time, and it's my fault that we ran out of time, but nevertheless, some of your winners and losers from the weekend. This one was, um, well, I went in reverse order. Loser, Richard, for completely forgetting to read listener winners and losers. <laughs> Loser, Brian M. Haydad for picking his own team to lose to their arch rival on senior night. Okay. He's messing with you. He uh, was listening to the Sunday show yesterday and uh, let me know about the uh, the message board that is really letting you have it uh, for yeah, the, picking a basketball yeah. game. That 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 thread has sixteen replies. <laughs> so let's let's define you know, getting crushed. <laughs> Did you see Richard? He told me about Richard and I's nickname on there. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I think it's pretty good. Um, so a euphemism for your name, Richard, and Dork. I've been called Dick since I played on the high school golf team, and really when I was in like seventh grade playing. It kind of made me laugh, Dick and Dork. <laughs> like this uh, adult man on the internet found that to be an insult and thought that, I don't know, it's funny to me. Winner, Arnold Palmer Invitational. Loved seeing the pros struggle to break par. Tyrell Hatton wins at four under. That is from Sammy. Wind was brutal this weekend. Did you see that? It was howling in Orlando. Absolutely howling. You've got the um, players this weekend in uh, Ponte Vedra. TPC Sawgrass. And did you see the uh, the notice from the uh, PGA as well, PGA of America, that the PGA Championship, which is scheduled to be played in May at TPC Harding Park in San Francisco, based on coronavirus concerns, there has been discussion about possibly pe- playing the PGA Championship at TPC Sawgrass in May. Hmm. Basically playing two majors at one course over the span of two months. Yeah. That's kind of... Kind of lame. Well, yeah, but I mean, what can you do? I guess depending on how this whole thing uh, whole thing goes. Um, if all the players loser? would just do the Phil Mickelson and give thumbs up instead of high fives, be no issue. 
perhaps. Loser, stock market. Winner, me, gas price dropping. Yeah. I mean, I guess depending on how much you have invested and how deep you are in terms of, like, close to retirement age with regard to IRAs and Roths and 401Ks and whatnot, then gas prices dropping is probably a very short-term view of the positive, but I hear what you're saying in the short term. Uh, Loser, the Los Angeles Rams for their new logo. It's bad. It's gross. And they probably paid some graphic design firm, I mean, tens of thousands, if not more, to design that logo. Baseball, winner, Ole Miss scoring 47 runs in three games against Princeton. Losers, Tennessee, previously undefeated, dropping two of three to Wright State. Wright State just keeps turning up. They're like a bad penny. You can't get rid of them. So is it Wright State now has a win against Louisville and two wins against uh, Tennessee? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Remember when we said back when Mississippi State hosted them on, on opening weekend, that's not only a good team, that's a good program? Yeah. Pretty good team, once a, once again. Once again. All right, so those are some of your uh, winners and uh, and losers from the uh, weekend. Greg had one that I wanted to read. Uh, Mississippi State women's basketball drops the uh, championship game yesterday. Let, let me read this. Guys, I don't really know what category you put this in. Watching the championship game yesterday between the Lady Bulldogs and the Gamecocks, a line from an old Eagles song came to mind. You can see the stars and still not see the light. We could see the basket. We just couldn't put the ball in the basket. In the basket, ladies. Start the game one for ten. One point midway through the third quarter. In the words of Mr. Cross, geez. That's a pretty good uh that that is a good word for you, geez. Yeah, they they you know, South Carolina just came out with their hair on fire and Mississippi State couldn't make shots. And I think, you know, having to come back Friday and Saturday in both games, I, I just don't think State had the energy to do it a, a third time, and uh, South Carolina uh, handled them relatively easily. Greg also tips his cap to you for your interview with Chris Lamonis, says that you are taking it to a new level, and he is proud of you, and keep up the great work. Thanks, Greg. That's from Greg and Nettleton. Uh, thank you. I guess all of you are winners for texting us Freebird. Uh, we gave the tickets away like 20 minutes ago. But... You will have a chance to win tomorrow and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. Freebird! <laughs> you ever been to a Leonard Skinner concert? No, I have not. Those are, no. those are great. I'd take a lighter, though. Hold it up while they play Freebird. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us on this Monday. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Rippy's out uh, for the next couple of days. Haydad will be out on Wednesday and Thursday, but we're glad to have you along for the ride. Time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford 
tough. What's happening in the college football world right now? Well, not a whole lot, but you do have a preseason top 25 team. This one is from Brett McMurphy at Stadium and WatchStadium.com. Um, first of all, he's got Ole Miss in the top 25. At number 25, but nevertheless. Is this a regurgitation, Borky, of the poll that he put out a while back? It's been altered some, I believe. Okay, so he's changed it a little bit, but he's kept Ole Miss at number 25. Is this the only preseason poll out of all the prognosticators, publications, individuals, and whatnot that will have Ole Miss ranked in the preseason top 25? My guess would be no. You think there will be others? There will be others that will slip in there. And what will be funny about it is their justifications will be Lane Kiffin and returning quarterback John Rice Plumley, And he very well could be the starter next year. I just That is not a sure thing whatsoever, but that will be the reason that they may slip in there. All right, so now opposite end of the poll. Clemson won. Ohio State, two. LSU, three. They got to prove it first. I know reigning national champion, you've got to give them credit for that, I guess, but uh, very, very different team this year. Alabama, four. Auburn, five. Come on. Come on. You went into your Minnesota accent for that. You went, come on. Come on. No, five. That, that was like I'm, a Minnesota-Boston hybrid there, hey, Dan? I, 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 I can't do it at this point. I, I don't know what you want from me. I'm trying. To, I'm just Auburn saying, come five. on. Five. No. More, more likely to have five losses than to be ranked fifth at the end of the year. <laughs> oh, here's a question. What is more likely? Auburn has five losses or finishes in the top 15? They could finish in the top fifteen at nine and four, so probably that. But top five for sure, it's five losses. Top Texas A and M at six. Jeez oh, Louise, man! Come on, no. Oklahoma seven. Uh, we're getting better now. I mean, as long as they're still in the Big Twelve, that's reasonable. Yeah. Florida at eight. Am I crazy for thinking that. Florida's about to have a really good year, like nationally competitive potential playoff team? The Georgia game will determine who goes to the SEC championship type season. Well, that's what it is every year for them. Yeah, that's that. That's a very reasonable. I mean, I'm thinking assumption. like eleven and one playoff contender type season. I'm trying to see who their other West team is. It's Ole Miss, so they'll beat them. Um, no. I mean, uh, just kind of jumped yeah. to a conclusion there, bud. Oh, well, you know, I'm just going to go in there and uh, going to beat Ole Miss. Done it before. School up north. Uh, I, he doesn't. He'll sleep until the next time. He won't sleep, yeah. That'll uh, be 20 yeah, years. They, they, they could go 11-1 and one, but not make the SEC championship game. But I, we'll see what happens when they, they should be Florida. They play LSU at home. Yeah, it could happen. Oregon at 9. Mario Cristobal, I don't think, gets enough credit. I know he's only had one year as a Power 5 head coach, but he got a really raw deal at FIU, 
and got to do the Alabama reset thing. Kind of believe in him. They're playing a different style at Oregon also. Yeah, let's see how that offense looks. Iowa State at 10. Penn State at 11. Wisconsin 12. Georgia 13. Southern Cal 14. Georgia at 13 seems low. I mean, yeah. they lost some guys and stuff, but they've recruited so well. And then I love their new quarterback. I watched a couple of Wake Forest games for some reason last year. I think he's going to fit really well in the retooling of their offense, so to speak, should open them up a little bit more. I wouldn't count Georgia out. I know they lost Jake Fromm. I think they've upgraded addition by subtraction at quarterback, and they will be what they've been for the last couple of years again. Flip Georgia and Auburn. That makes more sense. You put Georgia at five and Auburn at thirteen, and you get no qualms. I, I wouldn't have complained. I would still say that I don't know if that's that's going to happen, but I definitely wouldn't have rolled my eyes the way I did when you said Auburn five. You okay with Southern Cal at fourteen? <sighs> don't know a ton about Southern Cal, but I mean. I'll tell you this, if they're not that or higher, they're going to be hiring a new head football coach. Notre Dame at 15. Vorky loves their coach. Texas at 16. (laughs) TCU 17. Michigan at 18. They may have also added by subtracting at the quarterback position. I don't know. I know it doesn't mean much, but I don't know if you saw the combine workouts of their former quarterback. Um... No, what should I do at the combine? Not good. Um, flat out, completely missing receivers and passing drills, like throwing it over their head, behind them, stuff like that. Like not completing passes and combine passing drills. Rippy, we're somebody on this show called him the most overrated player in college football. I don't remember who that was, but he was very smart. It's good looking too. <laughs> it couldn't have been you then. Snow burn on Monday. Oh, Dick and Dork giving it to me today. (laughs) UCF at 19, the Washington Huskies at 20, Utah at 21, North Carolina at 22. Speaking of UCF, did you see who uh, showed up to spring practice this week? No. Mackenzie Milton, back on the football field. Really? Yeah. Had a big brace on, and I think he's limited, but yes. He's back on the football field. Well, it's kind of hard not to pull for him. Yeah, I agree. Wow. So North Carolina, Phil Longo's offense, sophomore quarterback, second year in the system. They just flipped they, a quarter, a, a five-star or four-star quarterback prospect from Alabama. Everybody mm-hmm. wants to get in with Longo. Virginia Tech at 23, Oklahoma State at 24, and Ole Miss at 25. That is Brett McMurphy's preseason watchstadium.com top 25 for college football. It came out initially on the 13th of January, but he has made some edits to it since then. Kind of curious about his write-up. Here, This was his write-up about Ole Miss. The lane train takes over in Oxford. At least he didn't go with a cliche out of the gate. New coach Lane Kiffin inherits a talented group that features six Rebels who started last season as freshmen or sophomores, including quarterback John Rice Plumley, 
Wide receivers Jonathan Mingo and Elijah Moore last season. Plumlee led the SEC in rushing yards per game at 113.5. Kiffin's debut season with Ole Miss certainly won't lack storylines as the Rebels' home schedule includes contests with Auburn, Alabama, Florida, and the very uh, first meeting with Kiffin and New Mississippi State head coach Mike Leach in the Egg Bowl. See, he mentions, and again, very well could be the starter. I do find it funny, though, that the, the national people are just penciling him in penciling him in as the starter, and I don't believe that to be the case. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to be the case or not. I don't think Matt Corral would have stayed if he didn't think he had a really good chance to win the starting job. Yeah, probably not. And Tisdale, too. Although, I mean, would you be surprised if one of those two leaves after the spring? Probably not. That With the no. new transfer portal and stuff, that you'll see a lot of movement then. But still, those guys don't come back unless they know that it's a real competition. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would I would be more surprised if all of them stayed than if at least one of them left. And by Same the way, the next five... Say what now? Same thing here in Starkville. How many do you think could potentially leave? After the At spring? least one. I imagine at least one, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was two. Who do you think wins that job, Hayden? <laughs> you mean who, who wins the, the number two job? Schrader. Fair enough. Oh yeah, there was that. There was that transfer thing, wasn't there? Yes. I am not in college football mode right this second. All right, I can check back in, plug back in with you. So Costello as the starter, and you think Schrader's the backup? I do. Yes. Sports Talk Mississippi. That's your college football fix. I keep reading about all these like ridiculously cheap airline tickets. Like if you want to go to Europe, now's your chance. You can fly round trip New York to Rome for two hundred and sixty bucks. Have you seen those stories? Yeah, and I tried to look online just out of curiosity, and I'm I guess I'm looking in the wrong place. I just pulled up Delta's website and typed in Memphis to Rome, and I just plugged in random dates: March twelfth through the twentieth. Main cabin, thirty three hundred bucks a ticket round trip. <laughs> like, if you buy this flight, you're guaranteed not to get coronavirus or COVID nineteen or it's a quarantine plane. I guess. Wow. Like, there's a picture that somebody put on their flight. It was like, we just got the announcement. It's going to be a pretty open flight. There was like one other person in the main cabin. Of the plane. Anyway, uh, Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Mike Bianco joining us each week during the baseball season. Rebels coming off. Say what? Rebels coming off uh, another uh, pretty good weekend. We are scheduled to visit with Mike Bianco here in uh, just the next couple of minutes. Ole Miss, 47 runs scored on the weekend. That included a uh, seven-inning game yesterday when they were uh, able to 10-run rule Princeton. It got started on Friday, and not only was there a big offensive output highlighted by an eight-run sixth inning, but for the second time this year, Doug Nikhazy 
does not allow a hit. Two weeks ago, seven innings, no hits, part of a combined no-hitter. And this week, six innings, no hits, 12 more strikeouts for the Rebels ace. Mike Bianco joins us now on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. And, Coach, last week when we talked, we, we started out talking about Gunnar Hoagland and just how remarkable he had been. But it almost feels like Doug McCasey, if it's possible, has flown a little under the radar. But he's got, in two of his last three starts, combined 13 innings and no hits allowed. <laughs> They've both been real good. How about let's just leave it at that? <laughs> they both have been really outstanding and uh, have you know gotten into the sixth inning and beyond. Uh, I think maybe all their starts and and yeah uh, and you know I think at the beginning maybe Gunner kind of pulled a little bit under the radar because he got so much I think hype last year because you know he was the first rounder that didn't sign. And Doug had such a great freshman year, and you know now you know Gunner got off to a great start. So, uh, you know, I think sometimes you know when there's such great expectations, you almost have to you know have those performances and those those no hit performances to get some attention. And this may be a bad question. There may not be a, a specific answer to this one way or the other. But coming off the weekend that you had, where you score 47 runs, you have a shutout in the first game, you give up four runs in the second game, and, and two in the final in a, in a seven-inning, ten-run win, did you feel better about the pitching this weekend or kind of what you did offensively? Well, um, I think we felt, you know, pretty good about everything you know uh pretty clean defensively uh i think some of the goals going into the weekend was uh you know could we could we add a few more pitchers to to, to the staff and what i mean by that is you know the three starters have pitched really well you know some guys in the bullpen foresight trophy broadway and miller have all pitched really well and there are seven you know solid guys we feel really good with can some other guys you know, jump into the mix and just give us a little bit of help? And uh, and I think that happened. I think you know, Greer had a good outing on Friday. Savell, you know, had a good outing. Uh, Baker, you know, had two good outings last week, you know, for us. And uh, so we're just you know continue. Kimbrell pitched well, which will start you know one of the midweek games here. So add, added some of that. And then the other thing that we were looking for is can some guys help us solidify the the, the lineup? You know, because can one of those outfielders or a couple of those outfielders take a step forward and kind of take the position? And uh, Elko had a tremendous you know, weekend. Uh, Leatherwood continues to swing the bat real well. Uh, Van Cleve, you know, you know, swung it well from the DH spot. Bench was terrific in center field. So uh, I think all around we felt felt pretty good about the weekend. The ball that that Tim Elko hit that hit the top of the batter's eye and kicked over. That's that's got to be like one of the top ten home runs that have ever been hit, and it's hit early in March without much wind helping it, right? No, without any wind helping it. You know, there was a slight north wind, uh, north northwest wind that day, so you know, no wind whatsoever. If anything, wind you know hurt it. Uh, and you know, I agree with you. You know, just absolutely crushed. It was a no doubter. There's not many no doubters to center field. Uh, especially this early with, you know, kind of a, you know, chilly, you know, wind, you know, blowing in a tick. And, and, and since uh, probably the, you know, I guess I, I refer to it as the dead bat era since, you know, 2011 when they, you know, changed the bats, you, you haven't seen balls hit like that. So that was pretty impressive. 
Do home runs stand out to you? Like, I mean, you've been standing in that dugout for a long time, and you've seen a bunch of home runs at Swayze Field and a bunch on the road as well. Do, do you have specific home runs that kind of stand out in your mind? Like, oh, my gosh, I remember the day that Stephen Head hit this one or, you know, somebody else. Uh, a few. Uh, Stephen Head's at Mississippi State, I don't know the year, but he hit one and it was at dusk, and it looked like he hit it like 800 feet. He hit it to right field, but well over all the grills, you know, down, you know, like over, you know, the trees and, you know, into like the, the, the parking lot across the street, basically. I mean, it was like one of the furthest balls I've ever seen hit. Uh, I, I remember, uh, you know, we're just talking distance here now. Sure. Uh, yeah, Thomas Dillard's ball uh, a few years ago against LSU here was just absolutely crushed. Uh, and then I, I remember, uh, I think it was Charlie Waite hit a ball early 2000s against Alabama that was in left center field. Uh, that was like almost to the top of the bricks, you know, and, and, and you know, left left mm. center field. I mean, it would have been right to the scoreboard. I mean, just dead left of the uh, of the batter's eye and uh and i think zan barstale hit one of the midweek game that i think went in the parking lot in the left field so those are the ones that come to mind sykes orvis hit one on the uh the roof of the building down the right field line in baton rouge a few years ago i, I remember that one as well sykes orvis hit one in missouri on uh, you know that hit their football complex <laughs> uh, that was pretty impressive you know that that, that seemed like that went 500 feet yeah Sorry, we kind of got off a little bit. Big week coming up for you guys. Two in the midweek on the road against Louisiana Monroe. What are you getting into over the next couple of days? Well, uh, the team that's really good. I know you know people here have heard of them, but uh, not your typical mid-major Tuesday night you know, ball game. One, you know, we go on the road to play two there, but two is you know a team that uh, I believe they're twelve and three uh, have a team batting average just. Just south of 320. I mean, like a team that puts up a ton of runs. Uh, they've been in the 20s three different times, you know, this you know, early season. Uh, so it'll be a challenge for us, and, and especially two midweek games. We, you know, we we haven't done that yet. So you know, stretch the pitching a little bit, you know, before conference play, uh, and you know, we'll have to you know uh, get some quality innings uh, from some some of the guys that aren't in that top seven that I mentioned earlier. Not exactly easing into league play either when you've got LSU coming to your place to start that 30-game gauntlet. Well, that, that's exactly right. But the reason we're doing it, people, well, why are you doing it? Well, because we're on spring break. And uh, uh, you know, rather than miss class and play a couple of away games, we'd rather you know do it on spring break. It just happens to fall. You know, uh, it always falls right before you know we start conference play. Uh, but, yeah. You know, uh, and then of course we got the Tigers coming in, which starts conference play. And again, uh, another uh, almost a second season for us. Uh, but yeah, I think they're really the key for uh, this team is that you know that we we are who we are. We just continue to play uh, like we've been playing. If we can do that, you know, uh, you know we've already played a uh, you know pretty difficult schedule. You know, we're going to be fine. And last thing is, as we kind of wrap up, the, the confidence level that this team's got going into league play has got to be really, really high, just given the results so far. Is that yeah, is that reasonable? No doubt. 
and, and not just the results, but I think you know individually and team wise, you know we and we've been able to check a lot of boxes. You know, we've won on the road, we've won against good teams, we won the close game, we've we've been successful against left-handed pitching, we've we've won the two-one game, we've won the you know the ten-eight game. You know, we've we, we, we've we've had comebacks, we've won in a lot of different ways, and you know, I think the guys are feeling really good about themselves. Big week coming up. Really appreciate your time this afternoon. All right, Richard. Thank you, buddy. That is Mike Bianco, head coach of the Rebels. Ole Miss 14-1. They lost their season opener and have since won 14 consecutive games, hitting 286 as a team. They lead not only yet not only the SEC, but the entire country with 31 home runs through their first 15 games. Take a quick timeout and be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi. You have to forgive me. We may number you to death just for a second, but I think there's some numbers that are worth mentioning. Hey, Dad, Christian McLeod got the start in Game 1 against Quinnipiac over the weekend for Mississippi State. Six innings, two hits, did not allow a run, walked one, and struck out 12. That is some pretty good pitching, and it was fairly efficient. That was on only 82 pitches. Yeah. Yeah, McLeod has been really, really good. I mean... The coaches were confident that he would be, but now that you see him, you you can I can buy into what Lamona said in our interview and what I'd heard before that he was probably going to be the Sunday starter a season ago had he stayed healthy. Hmm. Um, Asa Lacey, Texas A and M, against the national leaders in on base percentage and the number two ranked team in batting average and scoring. Asa Lacey held New Mexico State hitless through seven innings, striking out an SEC weekend-high 13 batters while allowing just two walks. New Mexico State got a runner to second base on just two occasions during Lacey's uh, Lacey's outing, but then he fanned all three batters he faced with runners in scoring position. Asa, Lacey, he's good. The only question continues to be whether or not A&M is going to hit. Saw some people saying that he might he may have positioned himself ahead of Emerson Hancock as as the potential first pick in the draft. Yeah. Tyler Keenan for Ole Miss drove in twelve runs this weekend in four games en route to being named co player of the week in the SEC. For the week he hit four thirty eight with seven hits, five runs, two doubles, a home run, and twelve runs batted in. So listen to some of these numbers for Ole Miss. And Borky, I'm not going to do what I did during the break where I was like calculating OPS in my head. I, that, that's a bridge too far in terms of numbers. Team batting average doesn't blow you away. It's 286 for Ole Miss. But the team OPS, which is on base percentage plus slugging percentage, is 938. That's really, that's a pretty good number individually. As a team, that is exceptional. 26 out of 27 in stolen bases on the year. And this is the number that's crazy to me. They've got more home runs than they've got doubles. 31 home runs on the season, only 25 doubles, and not a single triple. That's it's kind of mind-blowing, but at the same time, I'm so impressed with the fact that it's not like two guys doing it. So, it, you know, maybe you're two relying on the home run. Some people, 
you know, say it's an MLB approach and it may not work in SEC play. We'll find out here in a few days. But the fact that it's so balanced tells me that this is far more likely to be sustainable than if it was, you know, 10 bombs here, 12 bombs here, and then the rest of the team has one yeah. or zero. This is a balanced power lineup that has a far greater success rate to keep this level, or at least to a point, when SEC play begins. In terms of home runs, Servideo's got five, Keenan's got four, Elko's got three, Chatagnier's got four, Leatherwood's got three, Kale Baker's got four, Hayden Dunhurst has three. You got a couple for Kevin Graham. Um, I mean, two for Knox LaPasser in only eight games with one start all year. So it's uh, it's offense that's spread all over the place. And then from a pitching standpoint, Team ERA of 271. And you got some pretty gaudy strikeout-to-walk numbers, kind of up and down the pitching staff, especially with the uh, with the weekend guys. Uh, Ole Miss playing well. They are up to uh, number eight in the D1 baseball top 25. And uh, things, yeah, price of poker goes up this week. Yeah, hey, Dad, we've talked about that for Mississippi State with the, the two against Texas Tech, which obviously Texas Tech is better than ULM is, but Ole Miss going on the road for a couple of midweek games and kind of crazy when you think, and, and Mike Bianco pointed out, that it's because of spring break. You don't have school, so you go play some more baseball. But two midweek games rolling into the first weekend of league play, I'm not sure that that's ideal, but kind of what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about this on the, on the podcast, and Ole Miss did this last year where they played uh, Louisville. Uh, the week, I think it may have been the second week of SEC play, but it was early in the season. It was and it was the week of spring break because I remember Rippy coming down from Louisville to join right. me in Nashville for the SEC tournament. And it's good for the, uh, you know, it's good for the fans in, in in Biloxi, obviously. But you know, man, this is tough. You're playing a top five team and a top fifteen team if you're Mississippi State this week. If you go, I mean, realistically, you're you know three and two, two and three. You're good. You feel pretty good, but you could go if you go four and one or five and zero. Oh, your your season just turned on a dime. You, the the Texas Southern thing. It's almost like it didn't happen. Other side of the coin, if you go one and four, zero oh and five, you are in really bad shape in terms of. Your, I mean, your hosting is probably done at that point, and you you're you're just in a big hole. So this is going to be one of the most interesting regular season weeks I can remember for Mississippi State baseball. Yeah. No, I'm I'm completely with you. Borky, is today Rippy's birthday? Oh, I don't know. Yes, it is. Oh, oh really? Well, well considering even... his political beliefs, it's everybody's birthday. He's well. The reason I asked was because Rudy sent us a message on the uh, ceasefire text line that said, "It's your birthday. I'm so excited. Happy birthday, Bernie boy." We expect you to share your gifts for those of us who don't have access to gifts at this time, for the better good. <laughs> Happy birthday, comrade. Oh, man. Yeah, I had no idea. He, I guess I should text him. Do you think he specifically took the day off so that he could celebrate his birthday? I was told that they, they had a big party planned at Chuck E. Cheese, so he didn't want to miss that. Oh. <laughs> oh. Ski ball for everybody. <laughs> he doesn't strike me as the type that cares about his birthday. No. No, at least he would tell you he didn't. Oh, but deep down, one of those? Maybe deep down he really does. Well, now I feel bad. You guys haven't texted him yet. I texted him. 
Did you? What did you tell? How did you know? Uh, I popped them on Facebook. Ah, see, that's what I get for deleting Facebook. There you go. You've completely deleted it. Yeah, I created a like a a personality page or whatever, so people can like like my page, but I don't have any friends, which is a reflection of real life. That's kind of fitting. (laughs) Sort of like real life. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I just I basically made the same joke. I was like, "Hey, happy birthday! Hope Chuck E. Cheese is awesome." <laughs> Did he respond? He has not. <laughs> Completely ghosted you. Yeah, I don't check Facebook very often. Like, I'll open it occasionally and just kind of scroll through, and then I remember why I don't open it very often. Hey, Dad, I don't even know if I'm friends with you on Facebook. We are friends on Facebook. You and I are, are we? we? Are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. So. Do you ever post anything on Facebook? I, I post every now and then. My wife is a lot more active than I am. Yeah, my, mine too. So, um, I'm not friends with your wife on Facebook, so I wouldn't know anything about that. I've only met her once, though. Feel free. She'll, I would think she would accept you. You never know these days, man. Borky, do you want to talk about PGA Tour golf or horse racing? Man, what a crazy story. Let's go to the horse racing story, because that just kind of came out of left field, I think. I didn't know that this was on the radar at all. All I know is a guy that was doping a horse won a $10 million purse with said horse. In Saudi Arabia. What do you think? Is he going to have to give that money back? Man, I'd be worried about more than giving money back if I committed a crime in Saudi Arabia. Do we have extradition to Saudi Arabia? (laughs) I have no idea. Uh, For his sake, I hope not. More than two dozen trainers, veterinarians, and others in horse racing were charged in a widespread doping scheme, according to court papers out of New York. The defendants ran horses at tracks in New York, New Jersey, Florida, Ohio, Kentucky, and the UAE, according that's the United Arab Emirates, according to federal prosecutors in New York City, said that trainer... Are we going with George or Jorge? If it's with a J, it's Jorge. Jorge Navarro orchestrated this scheme by using PEDs designed to evade drug tests, physically concealing containers of PEDs and drug paraphernalia from state regulators and racing officials. One of his most prized thoroughbreds, XY Jet, died of an apparent heart attack this year after receiving a significant amount of PEDs, in one instance, 50 injections, according to the indictment. And you remember, he was... Actually, this is on the radar now that I think about it. Um, He was the trainer, or one of the guys indicted, was the trainer for Maximum Security, who was DQ'd from the Kentucky Derby. But not because of PEDs, but because he bumped into another horse. Yeah. Maximum Security has gone on to win like $30 since then. He's won four of his five major starts since being DQ'd from the Derby. I'm not a PETA guy, but, like, hang these guys from the gallows. Is that is that too strong a reaction? It's brutal. It's torture is what it is. One of them died. You're filling horses up with a bunch of PEDs, and you don't really care if they do anything other than win you races and then go to the glue factory. Come on, man. Sports Talk Mississippi. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.